Welcome to the now playing Halloween retrospective series. Only trying to give America a good show. Hosted by Stuart. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up. Arnie. I prayed that he would burn in hell, but in my heart, I knew that hell would not have him. And Brock. One must remember not to be fooled by his calm, unassuming facade. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Due to the current release of Rob Zombie's new Halloween movie, H2, we will be watching and reviewing all of the films in the Halloween series. These eyes will deceive you. A warning, these conversations will be spoiler-filled, and as the movies are R-rated, there may be some objectionable language. Every other word you say is either hell or shit or damn. Trick or treat, motherfucker! Today we're talking about Halloween H2O, 20 Years Later, starring Jamie Lee Curtis. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A., Arnie in my basement. (laughs) And this movie is the triumphant return of Jamie Lee to the Halloween series 20 Years Later. Yes, Jamie Lee Curtis back again, thank God. The one we really want to see return, Halloween H2O, 20 Years Later. You know, the name is cumbersome. I don't like it. I don't like the whole... H20, I think it's too hip. Um, it doesn't really make any sense. It connotates water, which is not something that's particularly scary. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It is interesting to reflect the fact that it's been 20 years since the original. And where is Jamie Lee Curtis? Where is the series? And what do they have to say to one another now? It's an interesting idea. And, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. The movie picks up with a cue from Mr. Sandman as if. Part two had just ended, and I'm of the same mind. I'm going to pretend like Halloween 3, 4, 5, and 6 never happened. I'm perfectly happy accepting that premise. However, they don't quite do that. It's not completely written off because it's said that Laurie Strode faked her own death in a car crash, which is what we were told she died in a car crash in 4. Okay, but here's why that doesn't really work. I mean, this is kind of like the Star Trek thing of alternate universe. You can, If you really want to, it happens in a parallel universe that he's chasing Danielle Harris. But Danielle Harris is Jamie Lee Curtis's child. Right. It wouldn't make sense that she would be the overprotective mother that she is in this film with her son and know that somewhere out there there's another child in harm's way. Well, I don't like jumping into the cut stuff so quickly, but nonetheless, in the original draft of the script, that's exactly how it was. And there's a scene where Jamie Lee Curtis finds out from one of her students doing a book report that her daughter was killed by Michael Myers and runs to the bathroom and vomits, knowing that her daughter had been killed. So initially, three, four, five, and even six were in continuity and then they decided to take out that reference and so they don't reference now four through six or three through six at all except the car crash bit but the reason she still faked her own death in a car crash is they are referencing that interesting well i gotta say
say I really like the premise of this movie. I like the idea of like this woman living with this for 20 years and how it affects her and her new life and all that kind of stuff. And every year that Halloween comes around, she's haunted by this. I thought it worked. I thought the premise worked. If you're going to bring back Jamie Lee Curtis, and you're going to bring Halloween back to form. This is a great way to do it. And I bought into the premise hook, line, and sinker. Totally. And this was a great time for it. This was the horror renaissance of the late 90s. Scream had really brought the genre back from the brink of where we were when we watched Halloween 6, where that movie was very limited release. Scream brought horror back to the masses, although a new type of horror, the Kevin Williamson wink, wink, nudge, nudge horror, and Kevin Williamson was instrumental in H2O here. He did a rewrite and was one of the producers. Yep. And it is, his influence is, is needed and obvious. Yeah, I kind of felt like Dawson's Massacre. Yeah, <laughs> Especially yeah. since uh, what's-her-name is in it, Michelle Williams. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, our old friend Steve Miner is back. He directs this film. Do you guys remember Steve Miner? Uh, I do, yes. He I'll directed bet. Friday the 13th Part 2 and Part 3D. No. Yes. He also has done such great hits as Soul Man, 1986. See Thomas Howell. <laughs> Big Bully with Rick Moranis and Tom Arnold. Ooh. Wow. My Father the Hero. Wow. And perhaps his biggest movie, Forever Young with Mel Gibson. Oh. Okay. So what you're saying is that I shouldn't like the guy. <laughs> Forever Young is also with Jamie Lee Curtis, too, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. So the man's done a lot of dreck, but he's here <laughs> to to write the cause because they couldn't get Carpenter. And I got to say, I'm bummed. I'm bummed about that. It would have been really fun if Jamie and Carpenter were at it again. And Jamie wanted that. Carpenter just asked for $10 million and the producers scoffed. And they should have given it to him. They really should have. Carpenter needed it at that point. His career certainly had been sagging since the late 80s. He needed it just as badly as Jamie and Michael Myers needed it. They all needed each other, and it would have been really fun to see them reinterpret uh, where they had come from. I completely agree. I think that this movie's lacking in a lot of things, and I think that Carpenter coming back, and especially if Carpenter had scored the damn thing, (laughs) it would have been an improvement over what we got. Because I felt like this movie, as far as direction goes, and I paid a little attention to it because 2 and 3 of Friday the 13th were just so amateurish and fortunately he has evolved as a director to now he's fine (laughs) you know he's not great but he's fine and he has done enough horror that he knows where to put the camera and how to cut it and how to film the angles so that you know it it doesn't feel cheap but i don't think he makes effective use of the space they're in many times i felt like this whole thing felt very small when it seems like they're on a real school grounds i think they're that's not a set i think they're filming on a location and it was made poor use of. Yeah. He did also, he, he brought back, you know, the Michael Myers is behind the people and the windows things that was prevalent early in the series. And I like that return to it, although it wasn't as effective. It was nice that they brought that kind of thing back. When Jamie Lee had her dream, it was a point of view thing. They kind of brought that back. So yes, it wasn't as effective, but at least they tried to get the mood back into the whole thing. Yeah, it was a romantic quality to it too. You can hear it in the theme. It goes into orchestral and, 
there's a lot of time spent thinking about the past. Obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is someone traumatized by what had happened to her 20 years ago, and she's now an alcoholic. She's an overprotective mother. She is uh, a stern protector of children. At Is she a teacher or is she a dean or she's all both. of the above? She's both. Yeah, she's both. Okay. I, I just got English teacher, but I don't know. I might be wrong. I thought she ran. I thought but she, she had a de- Yeah, she had the desk and everything. I mean, they the office space is what made me think she was the big boss. Yeah. Anyway, it's an interesting place to pick up and to imagine. It fills in all the gaps very, very well as to what her life might have been for the last 20 years. It felt more gothic and less slasher, uh, if that makes sense. It just felt more in love with its place in the horror movie genre. There's a very useless but uh, cute cameo with Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, who mm-hmm. was also in Psycho, and they do a little musical cue to Psycho. And they have the Psycho car with the Psycho license plate. Yes, yes. the car, I the mean, car was all- cool. And I associate all that kind of cleverness and referencing other horror movies as being uh, the the influence of Kevin Williamson. I mean, that was what Scream did. It was a horror movie about people that had seen all the horror movies and thought they were smarter than that. In that vein, also, the whole conversation about Frankenstein and confronting the demons and all that, that came – I know I'm jumping, but that also screamed Kevin Williamson to me as well as, you know, hit you over the head, this is what's going to happen kind of stuff. Yeah, there's there's that – yeah, the whole classroom discussion on the – on right before where it's a little the premise is a little weird the whole school is about to get on buses and go camping for halloween huh at yosemite <laughs> at yosemite yes <laughs> which is uh, it's a cold time to go i can tell you it's not uh, ideal you want to do that in the summer and no one is acknowledging that it's halloween at all uh, except for jamie lee curtis's vomiting and drinking but nobody's doing that but they are discussing the novel mary shelley novel frankenstein and of course all of that is subtext for what Jamie Lee Curtis is doing and about to do with confronting her brother. You know, I gave the movie the gimme. I gave them that one gimme of the kids going off to camp, whatever, because they wanted to have a small group of people being attacked by Michael Myers. And yes. if they're going to have Jamie in a secluded school and to get her so secluded that no one can find her with a new name and all that kind of stuff, that was the one thing I allowed the movie. And yes, yep. it's, a, it's a little absurd, but I, I, gave, I gave it to him. I totally agree. You have to give it to them. It, it would not have made sense if there were hundreds of kids milling about. It did have to be about Jamie one-on-one at the end of it. And so it, it's an acceptable excuse. It doesn't logically make sense that there would be a big field trip. And that, and that it also brings in the conflict between her and her son, which is that he wants his independence. He wants to go play with his own kids and do what teenagers do, drink, smoke, have sex, all the things that got kids killed in the first Halloween. And she She's still trying to protect him. I felt that I understood what they were trying to do by making Jamie the alcoholic. You know, what happened on Halloween 20 years earlier has messed her up to such a degree that, you know, they talk about the father of her son because she's got a son in this movie and the father of him. They talk about being an abusive methadone addict who left her. So she's really messed up. Can't have a relationship. She's trying to have one with Alan Arkin, who the moment he stepped on the screen, I'm like, well, Alan Arkin's going to die. And <laughs> Adam Arkin, not Alan Arkin. Oh, very, okay. Oh, very, yeah. Oh, very I, different. I, I, <laughs> 
<laughs> Alan Arkin being the old, dirty old man from Little Miss Sunshine, among many other things. <laughs> Adam Arkin is sort of the poor man's George Clooney. He was on a show called Chicago Hope. That was uh, the other medical show on in the 90s that people watched with an ER. He also um, was the replacement for Joel Fleischman, I thought, on Northern Exposure. Oh, I didn't realize that. Poor guy. That's all. He's just he's just the stand in. He's just filling out the suit. And that's kind of what he's doing here. He is not very interesting. It's all about Jamie Lee. He's not overshadowing Jamie Lee Curtis here. He's a believable love foil that. Yes. And in fact, when he is killed, that's not the part that's really upsetting to her. It's quickly forgotten. It's like it's more about her confronting Michael than it really is about grieving over her dead boyfriend, Mm -hmm. as it should be. It should be said, though, that although we're starting with Jamie and and her life, the movie actually picks up in or near Haddonfield the day before, which I thought was – it was a good place to begin, but it's impossible. Can I just say it is impossible to drive from Illinois to California in a day? Actually, it's October 28th. So he takes three days. Okay. All right. Then I, I, all right. I didn't do my math right. Then that's totally acceptable. Three days is what it would take. He's stealing cars at rest areas and he's stealing old cars at that. Did you guys notice like he was I did. really picking some classics like an Edsel? <laughs> Yes, Michael Myers, they don't bother explaining how he escapes, which I think is for the best at this point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, we've seen it too many times. What they say is his body was never found. But yet if they're picking up right from number two, where'd his body go? It was a charred corpse on the ground. Everybody was just standing around watching him burn. But yet they lost the body. No, no, it makes sense. I mean, definitely in that time, he could have all we see is him walk out of the ER on fire and then cut. She's being put in an ambulance i thought he walked out of the exploding room on fire and then fell down in a hallway in the hospital charred yeah but i mean that's just like he falls out of a window and then when they look out the window the body's gone i mean you know he could have gotten up i thought we saw the body just burn on the ground but i it doesn't really matter he's back he's coming after her again yeah and 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 here's and here's the interesting thing i didn't realize this and um i was told afterwards that uh, he's going after to find information on his sister being alive. I don't. Do we find out how he knows Lori's still alive? W- w- that tipping him off to go after the nurse from the first movie, who I didn't realize was the first movie. The same actress, good for her for coming back. But do we? We don't get explained how he knew to go there to look it up the information. Do we? Well, it seems like a stretch that he would know who she was exactly. She is in the first movie. The the nurse that gets killed in, in the introduction of this movie was the person driving with Donald Pleasance when they were driving up to the mental institution. I don't know that, you know, that Myers 20 years later would know who she was. She might have had her name pinned on her blouse or something. I, I don't and he, know. And she, and she has all of Loomis's files in her office and a nice framed publicity <laughs> shot of yes. Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Yes. Headshots of Donald Pleasance. I love it. That's just all of the Donald Pleasance that I want. Can I just say how easy breathing it was not to have him rasping that, Jamie, he's coming. I'm just glad. I was glad. 
I missed Donald Pleasant. No, you did not. Oh, really? I really did. Yes. I, I didn't miss him the way he was in part six. But I think that if you're just doing a sequel to number two, I would have either preferred one of two things. Either if you're going to write the others out of continuity, say he died in the fire thinking Michael was dead. Or I would have liked to see him back. I mean, I'm glad they didn't recast, although they technically did because it wasn't Donald Pleasance's voice in the beginning, but rather voiceover artist Tom Kane who's best known as being the new Yoda. He's He was good. He was he good. Was yeah. He fooled me. Yeah, he was good. But I really felt like that was the element missing is from the original two Halloween movies, you had three main characters. You had Laurie, you had Michael, and you had Loomis. And without Loomis, I really felt this was missing something big. And they should have done something to bring in a new Loomis type character. Not that nurse necessarily, but somebody. You know, Arnie, I think because I've seen so much of Loomis since part two, but I haven't seen Laurie Strode since part two, I was really happy to see her back, but I wasn't, I'm overdosed on Loomis, so I didn't miss him at all in this one. I can understand that, and I think that's what the producers were thinking too, is Loomis and Michael have had their movies. Now it's time for Laurie and Michael to have a movie, but for the 20th anniversary, for the reboot of the franchise, Loomis was so vital to the first two movies especially, and really, he wasn't as vital to the other sequels. He became a bit player in a larger scheme but he was the one who could save Lori in both parts one and two and here there's nobody that can save Lori except Lori, which, which might is, have been the point is, yeah which is totally the point and i agree that's the other reason why even if general pleasance had been alive you wouldn't have brought him in which is that you need for this to be about a woman taking responsibility for her life and where she's going it's very much a, in the mode of a, a james cameron movie you know a, a Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2 or Sigourney Weaver in Aliens, she becomes a force of nature in this and that only she and only she, I mean, she makes a decision. There's a point where she could escape and keep running and Mm -hmm. she makes the decision, I'm not going to run from this anymore. She could have gotten away and they could have kept making sequels with her, but she says, I'm going to put this to bed. I'm going to decapitate him. I am going to end the nightmare. And I think... That is a great choice. I don't think that we needed some raspy old Englishman to come in and help her do what she needed to do. I understand your point. I just, I missed the gravitas that he brought. Well, I kind of know what you mean in the sense that in the early movies, he was a fun presence. I'm not sure that I ever felt like he was essential in any of them, but he was a fun Van Helsing character. And yes, since we've been watching every single movie and he's been popping up in more and more useless roles in every single movie, I just, to me, it felt like passing a a kidney stone. I was just glad it's gone. <laughs> what I found interesting about this whole movie was you had the killings at the beginning of the movie, the two, you know, the, the two kids and then the whatever, and the nurse. And then it was like not until the last half hour where the murders really started happening. I actually was marking the time because I don't know about you guys, but again, I was bored out of my mind. And I'm like, when is something going to happen? Because, yes, the shape appeared in a few background shots, but it wasn't spooky. It was just right. there. And there were a few false scares. And I knew they were false scares maybe because i've only 
only seen this movie once before. That was back in theaters in 98. Maybe some part of me remembered, or maybe I was smarter than the movie, and I knew, you know, that Laurie was hallucinating. But really, I have in my notes 46 minutes, and I am bored. And then finally, I wrote in my notes that with 28 minutes remaining, six of which are credits, finally action begins. So the whole reason that people like horror movies is for suspense and action, and that's crammed into 22 minutes of the movie, and you're left with 88 minutes total, so you've got over an hour of poor character development, because while we should be focusing so much on Laurie, we're focusing on John and his girlfriend, Michelle Williams, who are useless characters. They're chased a little bit and then locked in a closet and do nothing. They never pay off. And then you've got their two friends who are just there because, well, we need a body count. Well, I'm going to say this. First of all, the pacing of this movie is identical to the original movie. Identical. You will find that the deaths don't start happening for much the same time in the original movie. And the body count is, I think, identical. I think the same number of people die in this one that died in the original movie. But I think that, first of all, I had the same complaint about the original movie. I, I, I Well, that's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at, is that some of this is personal taste. The thing about it is what gave the first movie some excitement during that first hour and kept me from wanting to surf the internet desperately was, again, Loomis, who was missing from this movie. Loomis going around going, he's the epitome of evil and he's going to kill us all. You know, that gave that movie some tension that H2O just lacked in the classroom scene. You had Michael Myers popping up from time to time, but by H2O, it's a tired shtick. In Halloween, it's new and dangerous. And again, Loomis. In Halloween H2O, it's been so long since we had anything resembling it that when we had even a part of it, it was welcome. The thing that makes H2O so much fun to watch is that it's much closer to the first film as opposed to the other sequels, which are just going off about druids and sacred (laughs) Stonehenge. You know what I mean? So it's nice to return to something familiar, which is actually closer to what this whole series was supposed to be about. Okay, but I don't need Dawson's prep school. What I need is some (laughs) form of suspense, some form of danger, and in broad daylight seeing the eighth iteration of Michael Myers' mask isn't doing it for me. I needed that Loomis going around saying how he's going to kill us all, and not, you know, LL Cool J's attempt at creative writing class. We've always had a little bit of disagreement about the, the role of Loomis. I've always felt like he was needed to create a mood, but as a character, did nothing, accomplished nothing. And so I didn't want him in H2O. I didn't want, I've said that, I didn't want Donald Pleasance in this movie, even if he were alive, maybe if he were dead. <laughs> I did not want Sam Loomis running up to uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis and saying, Lori, I found you finally. I, no, I didn't want that. Nice wheeze, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say wheezing was perfect. <laughs> But don't you think that, that that the first hour lacked? They needed to have something else going on, but I'm not sure what it was. It is so top-heavy with Jamie Lee Curtis's addictive problems that that doesn't really help the suspense component that you would want. But I would have rather had it done this way than had them have a Donald Pleasance-like character you know, constantly saying, oh, you're all going to die. This is the worst thing. I mean, that is uh, 
a cliche that they did not need to reinvent. Yeah, I, I just think, again, it's poorly paced, and I, I would have preferred maybe if you don't bring back the Loomis-type character, then make the action 45 minutes of the 90-minute movie, not 20 minutes, and have maybe Laurie revealing some of her revelations to her boyfriend during the attacks or something. And what you're compelled by is the bad deeds of the serial killers. I like the victim. I identify with the victim. But did you like these victims? Because I found these victims to be really just kind of annoying. Well, I'm not going to dispute you on that. I think Jamie Lee Curtis is great to see again. I loved seeing her again. I loved having her as the central character again. It let me, it just lets you know instantly where it had gone wrong for so many Halloween movies. There was no one like this on screen to care about. There's two scenes in particular that they get real. Uh, Jamie's in the in the restaurant having the wine and she's having that emotional breakdown kind of thing. And then when she confesses to Adam Arkin on the on the couch about what's going on, I love his reactions to what she's telling him. I thought that was um, realistic <laughs> when someone tells you this kind of stuff. Then she starts freaking out and everything starts to, to go the rest of the movie. But I thought those two scenes were quite effective. I mean, I'm not saying they were excellent. I just thought they were effective for the movie. And I thought she did a pretty good job in them, although it was obvious that, you know, she was working it. So I, I thought, so when he gets that ending, with that almost touch thing, it sort of brought it all together. And then she had to kill him at the end because of all the torture and all that other stuff and all the, the heaviness of the entire thing to her. So I thought, if it didn't work completely, but I thought they they, they built it up to try to pay it off well. And I mean, I'm not saying they hit the ball out of the, uh, you know, hit the ball out of the park, but I think they certainly got a solid triple. No, I agree with you. You know, I think the problem is, and and Arnie, I know you're going to agree with me of this, is that there's too many scenes like that in the movie. If there mm. had only been one or two scenes of her having a drink or saying what had happened or in mental anguish about, is that really Michael? No, it's only in my head. Uh, th- a couple of that is really effective. 45 minutes of that is redundant. Mm-hmm. And the movie would be, unfortunately, it would be much stronger if it were leaner. I mean, I think what we're really saying is that if you chopped it down to a non-commercial release length, it would have been great, which is that if you just had this movie be an hour, they really would have had something. But there wasn't 90 minutes of movie here. I don't know if it's a matter of cutting down the first 40 minutes or giving another subplot in there or we're missing Donald Pleasance. I'm not sure what it is, but there does seem to be a one-note quality to the movie that makes it a little redundant and so it cheapens some of the really good scenes that you mentioned i think you're right that scene with adam arkin where but she's talking about herself in the third person there was a girl and this and that and he's playing along like she's having a joke like and then we're telling a ghost story on halloween Right. And then right. suddenly he finally, you know, sees through his alcohol buzz and is like, no, this this woman is really actually confessing to me that she was the victim of this. That was effective and would have been more so if we didn't have a lot of that kind of stuff in the movie itself. Like I said, there's a romantic quality to this. It does. It feels less slasher movie and more gothic, more into its own lore as a horror movie in its place. And the score is reflective of that. Everything, you know, the cameo with Jane 
in it, Lee. All of it is it's really much a horror movie about a horror movie than it is a straight on horror movie. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think part of the problem is by making Jamie so troubled, they actually, you know, they made her a really poor mother, almost emotionally abusive in her overprotectiveness. Obviously, her son doesn't like her much at all. They made her too big of a bitch to really be sympathetic. And if she is the one who we're all supposed to rally behind, on the one hand, they didn't give her enough screen time to develop or basically they gave her enough screen time they just used it poorly and she wasn't as well developed as i'd like i would have liked to have seen her you know beyond just being an alcoholic and if this is to be her redemption then take her even deeper instead of having her sleeping with the head of the school have her be on the verge of losing her job or something you know do something to make her someone i want to root for instead of somebody i'm like yes she's back but am i happy about it well it's a bold choice to make her so harsh at first but Mm -hmm. there are moments for her to be likable along the way i mean don't forget it kind of gets forgotten about the fact because it's ironic when it comes she finally does sign the permission slip that'll allow her son to go off in yosemite and party with his friends out of her control she recognizes that she has been intolerable she kind of sobers up there she gives him the note and the irony is he's already planned to have the sex party at, at the school after hours and it right. doesn't go on the trip. But the the whole thing is that she finally gives him the permission to really be put out of danger. And he makes the choice of putting himself back into danger. To me, that scene sort of redeemed a whole lot of scenes of her nagging. Josh Hartnett has an eerie resemblance to her in this movie. Eerie. Like, they look so much alike, they have the same haircut. It's (laughs) just bizarre to me how much he looks like her. But we do not feel the same way about him that we do about her. I almost feel like maybe they should have killed him off. I don't think they could have done that to Lori, though. See, like, I agree with you up until that point about this movie is, for me, it's about Lori, the victim. That's who I want to watch, and everyone else, Arnie, is absolutely right there to get killed but josh harnett to me as i said earlier i didn't want him or arkin to get killed because those are the two people that she in this movie cares about right and to kill her son in this movie would not give her any sort of the closure that i think the movie is supposed to be giving her yeah she needs to feel like she can protect her family and herself I guess, but what I'm bumping up against in my head is the fact that he really doesn't do much in this movie. Yeah. You know, he is a horrible dresser. Can we just talk about that? <laughs> he walks around like his shirt's never tucked in. His hair is like, uh, it's, it's bizarre. But I guess that's his way, his choice for demonstrating that he cannot be buttoned down by this button down school or is controlled by his mother. He's a rebel. We're meant to think that he's a rebel. And so he doesn't go on the Yosemite trip with all the other kids. He stays there to light candles. And I don't, what was the thought there? They're going to get drunk? Sex. 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 Sex and drunk drink and yeah, they were gonna the have school's a school's abandoned, time. they could have a good time in, in the basement of the kitchen. I don't know why right. not in their dorm rooms, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's much less comfortable when you're doing it in a giant vat. But um 
Anyway, I I was with them up until the point that Michael starts to terrorize them, and then it just became clear that they're there just to be terrorized, and that it's not their movie. And so, in a horror movie, you come down to one. It's like everyone gets killed off until it's just one-on-one, and then the victim triumphs. That's that's the formula. And here, there's all these extra people lying around. L.O. Cool J, but who yes. don't get killed? And that's and I and I I want to just interject that as well is that it comes down to one, but there's what three survivor, four survivors, whatever, and yeah. one guy who we thought was killed was not killed, and he wasn't killed by Michael Myers at all. It's just LL Cool J, and so yeah. to me, you could have killed Michelle Williams, and and then then you would have had Josh Hartnett have some of the similar feelings that Laurie has. I mean, this mm-hmm. in a future sequel if you really wanted to go there, but you didn't kill Michelle Williams, which is interesting. I thought they could have done that. They should have done that, really. I really think they should have too, and and they missed that opportunity. Do you think that Laurie's son and his girlfriend are? Supposed- supposed to be a parallel back to little Tommy and little Lindsay from the first movie who also pretty much get shoved in a closet and forgotten as Laurie goes to face off against Michael. They had the same function. Yeah, they are there to be in danger and they are there for Laurie to protect. And they themselves, although they do get a moment or two, for the most part, don't accomplish much on their own. Maybe they are the parallel, but again, these two are teenagers who can fight back and can get attacked. You know, you said you hated the kids, though. I didn't hate the kids. And that's this weird comment for me because typically I do. I, I found them boring and uninteresting. So, yeah, I, I, but I can't say I didn't hate them in a good way. Like, oh, I want to see those kids get it because I hate them. No, no, it's no. Just, they were not a good they were not an addition to the movie for right me. they were likable enough i mean i guess that was what i wanted to stress i felt like they were sympathetic to the point that they were written which is that you know they were there to die uh, you know there was that gruesome death of one of the one of the girls has that whole thing with her leg being torn off that was kind of a an empathetic moment usually i don't necessarily empathize with victims uh, if they're too repugnant or too over the top but I felt like, given the fact that they knew they had to have a body count, and given the fact that those characters were were there, obviously, to die, they were more appealing than most. You know, but what I love about those two characters dying is they set the dumbwaiter up clearly to use, and yes. they use it like crazy. And and I love that her leg was so gashed open. Oh, I, that really got me. I was like, yeah, that is cool. It was a crunch. It was great. And, and it, it ripped the leg partially off. You could see the bone coming out of the meat. I mean, yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> It was great. And I love that Josh Hartnett, unlike the powers of Paul Rudd to follow blood trails in the last movie, Josh Hartnett and Michelle Williams are able to follow a blood trail to find out what the hell is going on. So yes. it was it was nice that the people had a brain in their head. It was nice that Josh Hartnett, when he's confronted with Michael Myers, starts punching him in the face. Take yeah. that, Uncle Mike. You know, it was really I mean, everyone fought back against Michael Myers instead of just running. And that was different, too. Maybe it's because it's when this movie was made. I think it probably is. And I think it does work in this movie that everyone is not afraid to go down swinging and you know uh, when they stabbed Hartnett in the leg I thought wow and that whole scene when he's trapped behind the gate and he's trying to get into school and Michael's swinging wildly and it ends with Jamie Lee looking at Michael through the the porthole like window in the door that entire sequence it was great because these kids who were smart to get out smart to fight back they were at a dead end they ran out of options and it was well paced that whole sequence of those two kids getting away and almost not 
stopped. And then, of course, yeah. it, it was just it just worked. Yes, I like that scene. It was the last scene where I felt like they had something to do because yeah. once Jamie is facing off with Michael, nothing else matters. Hence, put him in the closet, as Arnie said. Just yeah. throw him in the closet yes. and get away. <laughs> it really was like, okay, we're done with you. Now you're just people that Jamie wants to protect, and it's about Jamie and Michael. And you know what? I can go with that because that's my mentality too. I didn't really want LL to do something cool. I didn't want <laughs> Adam Arkin to do something you know that is romantic. I, I really wanted Jamie and Michael to go at it. And the whole thing with LL Cool J, he, he was dead. And he comes back at the end. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know what that is. And we, and we should talk about this. This is the first time that a black character has appeared in Halloween. Oh. It, oh. It's never happened. If you think about their first six movies, there has never yeah. been a major character of any ethnicity other than white. Mm-hmm. And it's being written by or rewritten by a guy who wrote Scream, who knows all the rules of horror movies. Which one of the big cliches is the black guy always gets it usually first. I think he wanted to make a a surprise out of it. And so it was the idea that, of course, Cool J is dead because he's the black guy, the comic relief. He's the security guard. He's all the things that the horror movies always tell you, dead meat. And surprise, ha, 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 he actually lives. Okay, I've heard something different, and I may be totally wrong on this, but my memory is from when this movie came out, and I was reading Entertainment Weekly all the time in Fangoria, LL Cool J was supposed to be dead. LL Cool J was like, I might want to come back for the sequel. And so they added the scene of, the bullet just grazed me, even though he was quite obviously in a big pool of blood. Really, Arnie? Is that really true? Yeah, that is my memory. I I can't find reference, but that is my memory, is that LL was supposed to be dead there, but because it's LL... LL's like, the bullet just grazed me. And then they added the one scene where he like grabs Lori just to add some believability to it. But yeah. But you know, but my problem with that death of LL Cool J at all was Michael Myers didn't kill him. That's um, the whole point though, is they want to mess with you like that. Like, oh my God, this whole thing's so crazy that now Adam Arkin just killed someone. Yeah. 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 I, I get, I get, I get why they did it. I just, I wanted to see Michael Myers kill him because Michael Myers, we were just talking about Michael Myers didn't kill a lot of people in this movie. And at that point when the killing was happening, and, you know, I thought he was – also because they teased it earlier too when he was behind. He let LL live when he was sneaking into the school. He just snuck in behind him and that was a lot of fun even though I – in all intents and purposes, why wouldn't Michael kill him then? That was a weird moment for me because it felt like they were not writing Michael Myers. Uh, a real Michael Myers scene would be you kill everyone in your way and here was a guy in your way. And so you don't allow him to live. That felt weird yeah. but yeah. it was – it was clever and, and yes, you know obviously a lot of scream and the and the horror movies of that were really aspiring to do the unexpected and it was the unexpected i mean i thought it was funny that they introduced the way they introduced the gun at all i mean there usually is not guns in halloween movies it, it, michael myers choice of of is always impaling as knives and uh here it's uh, jamie lee curtis sleeps with a bottle of booze on the nightstand and a gun under her pillow yeah and in fact, it's her overreactiveness that leads to LL being shot and maybe killed or maybe not, depending on the director's cut or the LL cut. 
Stuart, Loomis had a gun well, in the first two movies and a revolver you know, at that. It's funny. You guys always bring up Loomis like he's in the story. And I always feel like <laughs> Loomis – Well, he is I, in the story. I, We're I not making him up. I always feel like he is an explanation for backstory, that he has very little to do in any Halloween movie we've ever seen, that he's never done one thing that mattered at all. But he is there to explain the evil. And quite honestly, quite honestly, I don't need someone to keep saying how evil Mike Myers is, which is why I maybe never totally took to his character. I enjoyed him. I thought he was a funny crackpot, but I did not find him useful. But you're right. I guess he did have a gun. He did fire it once or twice. Blinded him, uh, six, Michael. Six so, times six at times. the end of the first movie. <laughs> For what good it did him. Yes, exactly. Can I say one thing about Michael? And, you know, we've never had a consistent Michael. Unlike some other horror series, Michael could be played by anybody. This one, did you get a little mime out of him? <laughs> Something about the mask and his movements. I was like, is he French? And like, it took me a while. Then I'm like, oh, no. It, it's something about the white face and his particular style of movements made me think he looked like Marcel Marceau. And that was kind of a problem for me. A little bit. I don't know if anybody else got that. I didn't, but you mentioned the mask. I did not like the choice that they made to make the eye holes bigger so you could see the skin and the eyes. I really always felt like the black shadow eyes were part of the Michael persona. That that must be it. That must be what I was responding to. You're right. That's what it was. It was he was more human. There was mm-hmm. by by focusing on the eyes and making it all eyes. I mean, it, yeah, I, it felt mimish. That's how it. That's how I interpreted that. But you're right. It is the it's the shape of the mask eyes changes everything it it makes him much more empathetic which is a weird place to be and indeed she does have a moment with him towards the end where she's almost tricked into feeling something of a a familial tie that you know we are relations and that i'm sorry that we're doing this to each other and then of course uh yeah yeah you know, when it comes to the end, also, Jamie really beats the living shit out of Michael. And she steals the van where they have his body, quote unquote, because, you know, a fallout of windows enough to kill Michael. Th- that hasn't <laughs> happened to him before. And she throws him through the car windshield, then hits him with the car, then decapitates him. Was this satisfying? After all the Michael we've seen, is this what we want? Is this how we want to see Michael punished and finally, ultimately, I guess killed he's decapitated so that means no more sequels right I am cool with all of that and I think that decapitating him taking his head off removing the mask in in essence is the way to go with that no other death really I mean no death feels final in a Michael Myers horror movie anyway because there's nothing that can't be undone particularly when you still got Mustafa Akkad at the helm of all this but (laughs) But, I mean, he's who who openly states in any interview he ever gives that he's going to keep making Halloween movies till they've run out of film on the planet. So, yes, I feel like it was a great reintroduction and finalizing of Jamie Lee Curtis's story arc, Laurie Strode. I like the way that it went out. It ends on a different note, obviously. Usually it ends on a note of he's not really dead. This one ends on a note of he really is dead. 
decapitation is the only way to go here. I mean, the only way to, to finalize it. And then I thought they are saying it's done because not only once he's decapitated and you see the head on the ground, whatever, it goes to black and the credits wait a few seconds before they come up. Like, it's like, and, it's done. And then the classic music comes back, which I thought was a real nice choice of bringing it in. Right before they do the Creed song, which I thought was a horrible choice. But exactly. anyway, yes. <laughs> exactly. And they bring it back later when she's a little bit later on one-on-one. But the music, when the two kids and she is in the truck driving away off out of the school before she ditches the kids mm-hmm. tell them to go away this kind of music that insane music going on i didn't really care for that at all john ottman he peppered in the theme here and there or there's not there's two music guys ottman and somebody else i don't know who it was ottman did the same kind of thing for superman returns when he peppered in john williams theme into a new themes mm-hmm. you know so it, it, he does that stuff and sometimes effectively sometimes not but i thought the music choice when they were trying to escape the school was terrible so i was happy when they finally brought the halloween theme back and they actually had taken some music cues from, I believe, the Scream movies and such, and really pissed off the music composer because they didn't like what he had originally written. That's why there's mm-hmm. two then. That's probably why there's two guys on the credits. Stuart, I do not remember. Was this intended to be the final putting to bed of Michael Myers? I can't imagine that they'd reboot it to kill it. But with the decapitation, I know I read a quote by Mustafa Akkad that they, they'll find a way. They'll say it's a copycat Correct. killer. But was this the other than Akkad, who will be bringing Michael back, we know, is uh, this supposed to be the nail in the coffin? I believe that everyone thought this was a great way of honoring uh, Halloween. It was a one-off, is I guess the the term you would give it. I don't think Jamie Lee Curtis was going to come back. I don't think anybody else wanted to come back. It didn't feel that way. You didn't get the sense about, oh, next time the kids will be going to you know Hawaii and he'll pop up on a raft. No, I mean, there's nothing to tip off the fact that this wasn't the end. But, of course, we know how money works and the temptation of it and the irony of this being the most successful one means that they have to follow it in some way, shape, or form. You're not sure how they would do it. I really don't because I've never seen Halloween Resurrection. I have no idea what I'm about to step into. But for me, yes, it feels like an end and it feels like it should have ended. If this had been an ending, would it have been satisfying? Yes, I think so, too. Maybe it was Jamie Lee Curtis's because they got Jamie Lee back. They wanted to give her as much screen time as possible. It was one on one Michael versus Laurie. And I found that was entertaining when she gets in the car with Michael in the bag in the back when you thought the movie was over and she drives off with him in the back of the car. I didn't see that coming. And I enjoyed that surprise. And um, that whole sequence with you know Michael through the windshield, Michael crashing Michael, and then that, that almost touch at the end and then chopping his head off. That entire sequence for me was satisfying. I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was really a, a nice way to, I thought, end the series. I mean, that I thought that, or at least end Laurie's part of the series. And it, I thought it worked really well and it was fun for me to watch. Arnie, your comment? You know, if this had been the end, if they'd never made another one after this one, this is such a step up from the dreck that we'd gotten after two (laughs) that it's if if it's not the highest of notes, it's a higher note. But I I ultimately felt this movie to be unsatisfying. And as such, if this was the end, I'd kind of have felt that it was an unsatisfying end as it was an unsatisfying movie. I would like to see the death of Michael Myers to be a little more focused on on Michael Myers and a little less focused on trips to Yosemite. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, what does that mean, though? Really, how much, how much more grandiose do you have to make it? They they went at it for a good twenty minutes. I don't know that I would have needed fifty minutes of pummeling. I don't know if I'd need fifty minutes. I just, I would, I guess, I would prefer it to be more evenly paced or more about him. This movie wasn't about Michael at all. It was about Jamie, and it was Jamie's victory. And like you said in the very first podcast we did, you know, I prefer the movies about the villains. But if it's Michael's curtain call then the movie needs to be about michael and not about jamie or equally about michael and about jamie it doesn't need to have michael be a bit player where i i just the whole thing with with michael (laughs) this movie would have been fine i guess as a mother-son drama and the last 20 minutes certainly was good horror and i love some of the kills i think this is the first time we've seen michael stab someone and they keep running i mean he really had to work hard to kill that one chick uh the nameless girlfriend yeah yeah, yeah. The, with the legs yeah. cut off. But Halloween has never been about all of that stuff. There was It was peppered in there. But what you're saying is that you wish Halloween wasn't Halloween is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you, wish, you wish that it was a gore slasher no, no, series no, no. and not a suspense movie. I, I wish this had been suspenseful. I was bored. I wasn't in but, suspense. <laughs> but you're like that whenever there's not a killer on screen. That is your comment every time is that if the killer's not on screen, you're not scared. I'm not scared if the killer is on screen. But <laughs> but the point is, there's nothing to Michael Myers. He, but that's that's the brilliance of it. I'm going to argue that that's why it puts it on the focus on the the victim. That's why Jamie Lee Curtis is the star, and the series is no good when she's not in the movies because it's about her plight against an anonymous evil that's impersonal, that has no face, that has no backstory, certainly has no cult of Celtic wizard. <laughs> <laughs> sacrificing babies in the basement to help him. And I agree that it worked very well in the first movie back in the 70s, are you in the house alone kind of babysitter murders. But here it's not impersonal. Here it is personal. It's like Jaws the Revenge. This time it's very personal because he's hunting her and her son specifically. He still got the same hangups that he's had in four through six of I want to kill my family. But why? It's not explained. And finally at the end, he gets decapitated. But am I satisfied you know i i don't want them to explain it because when they explain it it becomes celtic runes but i also don't want them to just ignore it either i'd like i there's just not much there for me I think you have to accept the ambiguity to really appreciate Halloween. It's about not knowing anything about Michael. And I think we're going to find it'll be interesting to see, you know, as we're approaching this new movie. I mean, this new Halloween Rob Zombie take, I think what we're going to see. I mean, I remember seeing his version a couple years ago. The focus is on Myers. So maybe you're going to like that more. I mean, that was the one thing that struck me about the reinvention was it was not about his victim. It was not about Lori. It was all about Michael and why he was the way he was. It's a way to go. It's a less interesting way to go as far as I'm concerned. But it will be interesting to see what your take on the new movie is as opposed to the old one. As what I feel like we keep having this this conversation again. Back to this movie. Were you in suspense during that first hour? Were you on the edge of your seat? Did you pay for your whole seat but only need the edge? Because <laughs> I needed the whole seat and a recliner and a footrest and no doze. 
I agree with both sides of this argument because I really enjoyed the movie. I was into it. I get it. But I have a note, just like Arnie does, about when the hell is the killing going to start. And I like suspense movies. I really do. But I got to tell you, I looked at the DVD player and I'm like, you know, this movie is only X number of minutes long and we have 20 minutes left. Let's get on with it. And here it has to come now. And so I see Arnie's point, but I did like the way the movie went. I did enjoy the following of the character of Jamie. And that's that. And I guess I want to state... I love the idea of bringing Jamie back. I love that Lori's back. I love it when, you know, the only nemesis Michael has had is Pleasance, and bringing Jamie back was a good choice. My simple fact is, though, this movie doesn't work as a drama to me. I'm never, oh, poor Lori, and I'm never brought into it the way I would be a good character study. It's a poor character study. And there's nothing in that first hour to appease me. There's no suspense, because when you see Michael, it's not done in a suspenseful way you see him at the gate that's more of a tease at this point in the first movie it was ominous in this movie it's like the excitement is coming but not yet and well well one of the things they're doing there i would just like to point out they did it in the first movie they're making uh parallels between the men in Lori's life and him there was a uh, a whole thing in the first movie where she thought the the, the boy who liked her and and Michael ends up killing is uh, is Michael. I mean, they they make that switcheroo. I think it's clever. I I like that. I appreciate that interplay about her fears about being with boys and it being intimate with boys and her relationship with this this killer. I'll give you this much. There is too much of the same thing in the first hour. Mm-hmm. It's not that I disliked any of it. It's just that where one scene would be effective, we have five to tell us the same thing over and over and over again. And it would have been nice to have another subplot going on or something to make it feel less repetitive. And so I agree with you in that respect. We are ready for the fight to begin by the time we get there. But I like a little mood buildup. I like the scenes and how... Halloween, where it's Lori walking in long tracking shots to her house and looking behind her. I think that that is effective in creating a slow building mood. And I don't need a killer to pop up every five to ten minutes to let me know, hey, I'm in a horror movie. So, guys, I think now's the time. Do you recommend Halloween H2O 20 years later? Stuart? I do. I was pleasantly surprised. When I first saw it, I remember making the joke, oh, H2O, it's just a watered-down version of the original. But (laughs) having seen the whole series and definitely seeing where it went wrong, it felt like a loving homage. It is not of the same caliber, but it is done by people that love the original and wanted to do right by it and made a respectful, sometimes thrilling, sometimes just romanticized remake. And it's great to see Jamie Lee Curtis in what may be, I can't think of any role she's had after since, her greatest role, return to that greatest role and, and really kill it. Literally and figuratively. Yes, see it. See one, see two, see this one, and see no more. Arnie. Yes, I recommend it. I think that it's great to see Jamie Lee Curtis return to the role. I think that it's well made. Compared to the last few, I think this is, you know, (laughs) technically competent, which I can't always say. (laughs) (laughs) I don't agree with a lot of the choices made. I think the mask is off. I think the first hour is boring. But you know what? That last 20 minutes is phenomenal. It's the best 20 minutes of any of the Halloween's, perhaps other than the original original. 
So I recommend it with the caution of when you're 45 minutes in and shaking your fist at me going, Arnie, why did you recommend this? Just just wait for it. It's good. <laughs> And I, too, recommend it. I had a good time with the movie. I, too, enjoyed Jamie Lee back. I liked all the little touches it had. I liked that it was more like the first one. Everything everyone said already, like, yes, I recommend it. Enjoy. And I, I was going to say what Stuart said. I'd say you can skip the middle ones. See the first one, the second one, and then this one, and it kind of completes itself. But you can watch the other ones and enjoy them and have fun. But Can you enjoy them? Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm saying you can, the other per- persons listening to this, you can if you want to. Enjoy them. But honestly, one, two, and this is eight you can go to town and have a nice movie night if your last name is a cod you can watch three through six and enjoy them <laughs> <laughs> well i want to thank you guys for joining me today if you enjoyed listening to this podcast please listen to our other podcasts in this halloween retrospective please download our fire the 13th house of a thousand corpses star trek and all our other podcasts that we've recorded for these retrospective series. You can leave us an email at show at nowplayingpodcast.com. You can talk about this film and other films we reviewed in our forums, and there's a link to that on our homepage. And if you like us, please leave a review for us on iTunes so other people like yourselves can find us and enjoy the podcasts as well. Okay, guys, and so next time we will be talking about Halloween Resurrection. With Busta Rhymes! <laughs> why Why am I nervous? All right. Because <laughs> it's Busta Rhymes, and they were going to call it H2K because of the Y2K. Oh. Awesome. All right. <laughs> see you then. See you, guys. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Now Playing's Halloween Retrospective. It's all over, my friend. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can listen to our other installments, as well as our Friday the 13th, House of a Thousand Corpses, Terminator, and Star Trek retrospective series at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production and is not affiliated with Compass International, Universal Pictures, Galaxy International Pictures, Dimension Films, Miramax Films, or The Weinstein Company. Michael Myers, and all other Halloween characters and situations are copyright and trademarks of those companies, and no infringement is intended. And I just say it is impossible to drive from Illinois to California in a day. Actually, it's October 28th. So he takes three days. Okay. All right. Then I, I, all right. I didn't do my math right. Then that's totally acceptable. Three days is what it would take. And he even stopped to walk out at the glass bottom platform at the Grand Canyon on the way. (laughs) (laughs) Was that one of the cut scenes? Yes. (laughs) 